that um, as we gather here over on uh, what they call the CW or WHDF, we're airing what we call TV or Tennessee Valley Church. And um, uh, soon, actually, we're moving that over to WAAY. That's going to get us, I think, a broader audience. But we shot um, or videotaped this week the the message that I'm going to preach here today, we shot that at, um, at a new leash on life at Animal Adoption Day. And um, of course, the new leash on life is a wonderful group of folks who care about animals who are especially uh, interested and compassionate to, toward uh, animals that have been injured or homeless and uh, their mission is to minimize the number of, of pets or animals that are, uh, are put down or euthanized. And it's, it's working. The numbers of, of uh, animals that have been uh, adopted into homes is going up and the number of animals that are being euthanized is going down. And everything I can tell about a new leash on life is, um, is wonderful. Um, I took our dog Gracie out there to the day, to the, to a dog or animal adoption day just to kind of let her see how, how good she has it. I took her out there to, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure it worked, but I wanted her to, uh, to know that she hit the jackpot. And the truth is that Gracie, our dog, doesn't any more deserve a good home than those dogs and cats out there at uh, animal adoption day. And, and those dogs and cats out there at Animal Adoption Day no more deserve, excuse me, no less deserve a good home than does your pet or, or our pet, our dog, Gracie. Those dogs deserve a second chance. They deserve for somebody to, uh, to love them, to bring them in their home, to give them a new opportunity, a, a new leash on life. And as much as it pains me to say it, even cats deserve a second chance. <laughs> of course, that phrase, a new leash on life, is a play on the phrase, a new lease on life, which is often used to apply to people who walk upright on, on our two legs, you and I, people who need a, a second opportunity, a new chance, uh, somebody to to take them in, somebody to say, add away, somebody to say, you can do this, somebody to say, I believe in you. You know, the world is hard. This week is, um, of course, uh, the week of one of our great national holidays. Uh, this is Iron Bowl week. And to celebrate the Iron Bowl, uh, there are some students at the University of Alabama and, at, the, and at, at Auburn University who are walking together across the state to raise awareness of the high rate, alarming rate of suicide among veterans. Veterans who have experienced tough things, who have seen horrible things, uh, some of whom have watched their buddies die and they come home uh, traumatized, suffering from a post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and there's an alarming number of veterans who, who take their lives. Last week, um, during Veterans Day week, I came across an article that was published in a Michigan newspaper. 
And the title of the article is Don't Give Up On Me. I want you to read, I want you to hear just a paragraph from that article. Written by a veteran. Listen to me. Offer unconditional support. I want to feel your encouragement free of judgment. Please don't lecture me or begin conversations with, have you tried? Resist the temptation to give advice. If I need treatment, encourage me and give me your full support. Don't judge me, but please don't give up on me. We live in a tough world, a world that will knock you down with a, with a blow out of nowhere. And you'll get knocked down again sometimes before you can get back up. And there are lots of people who need an attaway. A word of encouragement. Somebody to say, I believe in you. Somebody to say, you can do this and I will do it alongside you. Which brings us to our story for today. A story that, that Heidi read part of a moment ago. It includes three main characters. Barnabas, John Mark, and Paul. First, there's Barnabas. Barnabas is introduced to us by Luke, the author of Acts, in Acts chapter 4. Luke says that Bar Barnabas' mama and daddy named him Joseph. But his friends, his Christian friends, gave him the nickname Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because Barnabas was always encouraging everybody. The second time we meet Barnabas, he is encouraging his new friend, Paul, whose previous name was Saul. So Saul had been a, um, a terrible, terrifying torturer of Christians. But he had met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and that was the beginning of a radical transformation for Paul. And after he'd experienced that conversion, he wanted everybody to know what he knew. He wanted everybody to see what he'd seen. He wanted everybody to experience what he had experienced. And so he wanted to be a missionary. Therefore, he wanted to join that fraternity of early missionaries. And Barnabas, the encourager, had met Paul. And he brought Paul's request to those, or that early group of missionaries. And he said, Barnabas said to them, Paul wants to join you in the, God's mission to the world. And they, they resp responded, you've got to be kidding me. We have heard the stories. We've seen his Facebook posts. We know this guy. And we know that he has persecuted, tormented, killed Christians. We know he was holding the cloaks of those who killed Stephen. We're not bringing that guy into our circle. And Barnabas, son of encouragement, said, now guys, I know you're, you're hesitant for a good reason. But I've looked into Paul's eyes and I've seen his heart and I know he is a changed man and I think he'd be a great addition to our team. And so based on the recommendation of Barnabas, son of encouragement, they brought Paul into their circle. The third time we meet Barnabas is in Acts 11. 
The Christians in Jerusalem, the first church in history, heard about this great spiritual renewal that was happening in the second church of history up in Antioch in Syria. And they wanted to encourage them. These were new believers and they didn't, they didn't have all the tradition that the people in Jerusalem did. They wanted to encourage the, the Christians in Jerusalem, wanted to encourage the Christians in Antioch. And they said, of course, who else would they send? Barnabas, son of encouragement. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, he encouraged them all. And things went so well. Barnabas saw such potential. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. So he sent for Paul, who was in Tarsus, and Paul came and they joined together and, and God blessed their ministry there to the point that the ch church in Antioch said, we sense that you guys should be doing this not just for us, but for people around the world. And so they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out on what we call the first missionary journey. And it was Paul and Barnabas and a young man named John Mark, who's the second person in our the character in our story. John Mark, often just called Mark, had a fascinating youth. His mother invited the early Christians in Jerusalem to meet in her home, which means that the first church ever met in Mark's home. So he sat around there with Uncle Peter and Uncle James, and they sang and they read the Old Testament together, and he, and he had a fascinating youth. And when he heard that Paul and Barnabas were headed out on a missionary journey, John Mark said, here am I, let me go with you. And, and he did. And at first it was great. They, they sailed across the Mediterranean to the island of Cyprus and beyond. And it was, must have been a great adventure. He was learning from Paul and Barnabas. He was assisting Paul and Barnabas. It must have been, it must have been fun. Maybe he felt a little bit like a hero, but something happened in Pamphylia, which is now Southern Turkey. We don't know what went wrong. Maybe it was homesickness. Maybe it was culture shock. Maybe he got a Dear John Mark letter from his girlfriend back in uh, Jerusalem. And I appreciate that polite laughter from those of you who <laughs> said that. But whatever happened, uh, John Mark abandoned Paul and Barnabas, got on a boat and sailed home. But back home, he began to mature. John Mark began to sense that God's missionary call on his life had not been revoked, that he still had a place in God's mission to the world. And so Paul and Barnabas had completed their first missionary journey. Word got out that they were preparing for their second missionary journey. And John Mark, it was in the second year and Paul and Barnabas were preparing for the second missionary journey. And John Mark wanted a second chance. So Barnabas, son of encouragement, went to Paul and he said, Paul, I really think we ought to take John Mark with us. He's, a, he's matured, he's changed, he's still a young man, he can be of help to us. And Paul said, you've got to be kidding me. You mean... John ran home to Mama Mark. You mean John left us high and dry, Mark? You mean John the quitter, Mark? I don't think so. Now let me pull over and say, I think Paul was wound real tight. I really do. Now he was a marvelous missionary. He was obviously courageous and withstood far more than I can imagine withstanding 
But this week, Alan Greer put us through a, a personality inventory. We, we ministers, and Paul, I think, was a driven guy. And some people who are really driven don't have a lot of patience with, with people that don't meet their standards. And Paul refused to see the potential in John Mark at that moment. And he said John Mark couldn't go. And this is one of those places where their story intersects with our story. Because some of us have our own Pauls. The people who refuse to give us a chance. The people who refuse to see our potential. Some of you have your own Pauls. Some of you would give anything for, for that person to say, I believe in you. Some of you would give anything for an attaway from one certain person or maybe more. Might be a boss, might be a peer, might be a spouse, might be a mother, might be a father, but somebody would, somebody here would rather, I mean, would give anything, would give anything for some encouragement. And it would mean most from that one person that you're not getting it from. And the truth is you may have to do the right thing you may have to follow your God-given dream without the attaway from the one from whom it would mean most. So Barnabas, so, so, so Barnabas and Paul went on the first missionary journey. John Mark joined them. He left them. He wanted to go on the second when Paul said no. Which brings us back to Barnabas. Paul let, took Silas and went his way. Barnabas put his arm around John Mark and said, young man, nothing would honor me more than for you to go with me on a missionary journey. And they did. And John Mark turned out to be a wonderful missionary. He wrote the book in the New Testament that bears his name, the Gospel of Mark. Every New Testament scholar I can think of believes Mark's was the first gospel and that Matthew and Luke used him as a resource. And by the way, in the end, Paul came around. Paul was dying in prison. He knew, he writes his second letter to Timothy and he says, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. He wasn't actively dying, but he knew that his days were numbered and, and he, he wrote and said, would you bring John Mark to me? It would do my heart good to see John Mark. I don't know, maybe he'd heard all the good reports about what Mark was doing. And maybe Paul was thinking about Mark when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love keeps no record of wrongs. Barnabas Son of encouragement. Encouragement means literally to, to put courage into. To put courage into somebody who needs it. To spend enough time with somebody in their hearts that when you leave, you leave a good bit of courage there. To encourage people is to, is to pour words of comfort and consolation and, and faith and fortitude and motivation and inspiration and affirmation into the hearts of people who 
have been shot down, dragged down, cut down, worn down, and beaten down. To encourage is to pour words of comfort and consolation and faith and fortitude and motivation and inspiration and affirmation into the hearts of people who've been beat up and are ready to give up. To encourage is to be Barnabas to some John Mark. Now to encourage and to enable are two different things. To enable is to help people do bad stuff, even with good intentions. It's to cover for them, to resource them, even when you think you're helping them. And encouraging and enabling are two different things. But with that little warning, to encourage is a godly thing. And somebody you know needs for you to be Barnabas. I don't think Jesus has favorites. I do think he has priorities. And I think it's people who need a new lease on life. For example, take Peter. Peter, Thursday night, we called it the first communion or Lord's Supper. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, I'll be the last one in the world. Of course, a few hours later, Jesus was arrested, beat, beat around and mocked and Peter three times, just like Jesus said he would three times, denies he even knew him. He had said he wouldn't, but he folded like a cheap lawn chair under pressure. And then that was Thursday night. It wasn't just a few hours later, Jesus died. And, and you can imagine what Peter must have been feeling. The last he had seen of his Lord, he had let him down. And then the Bible says three times in the story of Easter, Jesus appeared to Peter. Once even says Jesus appeared first to Peter. Now that's a minor detail in the story. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people post-resurrection. Why would the Bible say three times Jesus appeared to Peter? Because I don't believe Jesus has favorites. I do believe he has priorities. And it's people like Peter who need a new lease on life. So Jesus went to Peter and he said, Peter, there's going to be a, an Easter party, and I want you to know you are invited. I don't think Jesus has favorites, but I do think he has priorities. And I think Jesus' priorities are people who need a new lease, a new opportunity, a new beginning in life. We began with uh, a new leash on life and those dogs in need of adoption. So it just seems appropriate to close with a good dog story. This one is, is, is a Rick Bragg story told first in Southern Living and then in his book, My Southern Journey. <clears throat> it dragged itself during the night into an abandoned doghouse in their yard to protect itself from the wind. Their house was Rick Bragg's mama's house in Calhoun County, not far from Jacksonville. More than half dead, not much hair, skin stretched over bones. 
The next morning, when Rick Bragg's mama and brother found this dog, they weren't sure at first that it was a dog. And it broke Rick Bragg's mama's heart. They didn't call the vet because they figured any vet would say, just put her down. They couldn't run her off. Oh, it's not that they couldn't run a stray dog off in the country. There were so many stray dogs that running stray dogs off was a fairly common occurrence, but they could not run this dog off because it could not stand on its own. And Rick Bragg's brother looked into the eyes of that stray dog and he said, hey, pretty girl. And it stuck. They started feeding pretty girl. They washed her in um, motor oil. Remember, that's when we used to th thought would cure the mange is motor oil. And eventually, when it was obvious uh, she wasn't going to die immediately, they took pretty girl to the vet. And Rick Bragg said he pulled in the driveway a month later. And there standing guard of, of the house at the end of the driveway was this white German shepherd mixed, healthy, protective, pretty girl. He said, oh, she was still old and she still had her infirmities. But pretty girl lived three years worth of a really good dog's life. Loved, proud, happy, contributing a country dog's dream. It's a strange thing, Rick Bragg said. This is actually the way he put it. There are things we cannot explain, things beyond science, like how a man could name a ravaged and dying dog and have her rise somehow to make it true. That girl, that dog, needed somebody to see the pretty girl that was down deep inside her. It's a strange thing. And there's probably somebody in your life who needs for you to see beyond the scars and the fears and the bad decisions to speak words of comfort and consolation, of faith and fortitude, of inspiration, motivation, and affirmation. There's probably a John Mark in your life 
who desperately needs a Barnabas. Wherever he leads, I'll go is the hymn we're going to sing, hymn number 491. This morning you saw Savannah and Sancheray make courageous decisions to follow Jesus and then to be baptized. Maybe, maybe you've made that decision privately and haven't made it publicly and you'd be willing to come now while others are singing. Maybe you believe God would smile if you would be part of our church family. We sure will smile. We'll be thrilled. If you will come, some of the ministers are going to stand down here with me while others are singing. If you'll take that first step, that'll be the hardest step, I promise. The rest of them will be a whole lot easier. And we'll wait on you as you come. Let's stand and sing. Thank you so much for joining us today. You might be feeling a need or maybe even a call from God to be part of our church family in a more tangible way. If you're not able to join us physically here at 600 Governors Drive, whether it's because of distance, mobility schedule, or some other reason, you still can be a member of First Baptist Huntsville. Let me send you information on what that might mean what you could expect from your church, and then what your church could expect from you. Email me at travis at fbchsv.org. Let me know of your desire for membership. I will send you a form requesting enough information to link you with one of our ministers. Join hands with us as we attempt to join God Himself in His mission to the world.